the real reason why 150,000 NHS staff are abandoning their pensions. I don't think when I retire, I'm going to be going into the papers bashing my colleagues. By the way, I've got zero interest in this and I'm about to destroy it, but... This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. Okay, mate. Welcome back. Great to be back on the podcast with you. And on today's episode, we're just going to be talking through some articles and stories that we've seen in the news recently that are very relevant to NHS workers. And you've brought a couple of really interesting stories. So do you want to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. There are two articles linked surrounding the NHS pension, which we wanted to discuss today. So the first article, and I'll read out the title, it says the real reason why 150,000 NHS staff are abandoning their pensions. And it's all about the growing number of doctors and nurses who are freezing their pension contributions in order to boost their pay. So a company made a freedom of information request and have discovered that 150,000 people have opted out of the NHS pension scheme between April and December last year in an attempt to boost their take home pay in order to boost their salaries. And it all surrounds the cost of living crisis and the pressures that people are facing. So they actually asked people why they're dropping out and apparently half of those people said it was due to affordability that's why they left the scheme and the remainder cited other financial priorities so a lot of people are as I say dropping out of the pension in order to increase their pay to help with the cost of living crisis and that actually links to the second article which is very again as I said very much linked which is that there's Various people, various think tanks, such as the Policy Foundation think tank or Policy Exchange think tank, have suggested that the government should consider reducing the NHS pension, but rebalancing things in order to give us better take-home pay. So overall, the idea is that we wouldn't be, in quotation marks, worse off. Taxpayers shouldn't be worse off. The idea is that they rebalance our overall compensation towards our pay now and away from our pensions in the future and that you know has pros and cons should we say but the two articles that I thought might be interesting to discuss yeah okay so let's go to this 150,000 people opting out of the NHS pension this makes me really sad for two reasons I'm sad for the healthcare professionals that are opting out and I'm sad for society let me explain my thoughts and see what you think so your pension is effectively a part of your remuneration, easy for me to say. Okay, so it's like delayed pay, you know, that you get paid in retirement. It's an incredibly important part of your overall pay and reward package. It's like the NHS are saying, okay, we'll pay you X amount for working today. And when you retire, we'll continue to pay you X amount in retirement as part of your overall pay package. So it is an incredibly valuable benefit. And it also comes, quick recap, it comes with other benefits as well. So it comes with what's called death in service benefit. If you're an active member, generally you get two times your pensionable income, or you don't get it because you're dead. But anyway, you get the point. Two times your pensionable pay if you die in service. And if you've downloaded our most recent pensions guide, you'll see in there that we remind you to do your death benefits nomination. If you haven't done your death benefits nomination and you have an NHS pension, 
please do it. It's really important. Okay. But it also comes with other benefits as well, like a spousal pensions, dependents pensions as well. So if you opt out, and I can't give you financial advice because all of your situations are different, but you know, if you opt out, you are giving up a valuable part of your overall pay and reward package. And I think you said half of the 150,000 had opted out for affordability reasons. Yes. Yeah. And the remainder cited other financial priorities. Yeah. So I want to break that down. So the second reason, so I said I was sad for healthcare workers that are opting out. Okay. I'm sad for society because as a society, we've decided that we've chosen to not pay healthcare workers who do incredibly difficult, incredibly valuable, life-changing work on a day-in, day-out basis. As a society, we've decided that we're not going to pay them enough that they can no longer afford to contribute 7% approximately, depending on how much they're earning, 7% of their pay towards their pension and secure their financial future. And that makes me incredibly sad as a society. Like, why don't we value the contribution that these individuals make? You know, what's more important than your health? And yet we're not paying our healthcare workers enough that they, can, they can't afford 7%, roughly, it to pay into their pension. And they're giving up these incredible benefits. So that's for the affordability ones. I mean, what do you think other financial priorities means? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, because what part of me thinks it's kind of very linked in terms of, you know, the financial priority they need to people need to pay their bills so they're they're reducing that but that would, i presume would go down the other side of things so i don't know if it just means that you know people have other you know well, literally what it says other priorities at the moment wanting to renovate the house or they're trying to put their kids through private school or whatever i don't know i literally don't know but you know in my mind it's all very much linked around the idea that people need more money right now because of the cost of living crisis so yeah i don't know if they're they seem very linked to me I don't quite know what to yeah. I mean. I mean, this is uh, one thing that I worry about, you know, is we can't give advice. But every time we have one of our experts on the podcast, we ask them, you know, would you swap? The experts have private pensions. Would you swap your private pension for my or your NHS pension? And without exception, they always swap, okay? Because the NHS pension is a really, really important part of your overall pay and rewards package. And so... I'm a bit concerned about these people with other financial priorities because that suggests to me that they mm. are not struggling with affordability. And if you're struggling with affordability, I mean, that's just the worst. So we talked about that. But there other financial priorities, I don't know, because me and you are like all in on the NHS pension. It, I see it as a massive part of the benefits of working for the NHS, a massive part of my delayed pay and reward package. So mm. if you are in that other financial priorities category, just have a real think about the benefits of what you get from the pension, what I just said. And yeah, I mean, we did that podcast in the week where they asked us, you know, would you take a private pension or an NHS pension? And again, we can't give individual advice, but all I can say is that every time we've asked our financial experts, would they swap their private pension for our NHS pension? The answer is yes. So it is a really important and really hard earned part of our overall pay and reward package. And in an absolutely tiny minority of cases that I've seen is opting out the correct thing. And I think a lot of people, when they've seen like all the stories about huge tax bills and everything, the reflex option is to opt out. And it that can be the right decision, but it can also be one of the most expensive financial mistakes you'll ever make in your life. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's one reason why I wanted to bring up this article, or the main reason is, you know, just really, we get it, people are struggling at the moment, there is a cost of living crisis, everyone's bills are going up, definitely, 
you know, we understand. But, you know, please just think really carefully before you decide to opt out of the pension. As Tommy said, it's got other benefits to being in the pension at the time. And also it is, you know, well, as I say, we can't give advice, personal circumstances, but it is a great pension. And, you know, the advisors we speak to, as Tommy said, they would always swap. They have also told us there's no way that they could replicate such a good pension on the market. There's no way that nothing that they could do that would get such a good pension. So just, you know, we get it, you know, if you're struggling to pay the bills, obviously we understand, but, but just think really carefully about opting out of the pension. It is a great pension, as you said. I definitely agree with that. It's a, it's part of our overall remuneration. I just cannot say that word. Pay and reward package. And the other thing that I was going to say is the pension might not be as good as it was, okay? Because as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, we're all in the 2015 section of the scheme now, which is a career average scheme. And the retirement age is linked to state retirement age. That is a massive problem. I'm waving a big red flag saying that should scare you. It scares me. And I've talked about my plans to mitigate that. But if you were back in the day, you would be in the 1995 scheme, which is a genuine final salary scheme. And also the retirement age was age 60. So, yes, the pension is still good. Also, I just point out that contribution rates, the amount that employees pay, has gone up a lot over the years. Okay, so I agree it's still a great pension, but it's not as good as it was back in the day in some respects, which links us semi neatly to the second part of your story, which is. Remind me of that, about that. Basically, we should give up pension for in the future for pay now. By the way, I've got zero interest in this and I'm about to destroy it, but remind me of yeah, what it Yeah, yeah. Totally understand. I have zero interest in this as well. But yeah, so it's an idea from you know various people, think tanks, to say that the government should consider funding more generous pay rises by rebalancing overall compensation more towards pay and away from the NHS pension. Sorry, by the way, my, my cat is doing his, his best to get in the way of everything. So uh, apologies if, if he presses something he shouldn't do. But yeah, so essentially, yeah, that, that's the idea that, you know, given that, you know, real wages, salaries in real terms have sunk, should the government rebalance their the pension and give us better pay, but reduce our pension in the future. That's the gist of the article. If you're not watching on YouTube, you will not get the benefit of seeing Ed's cat. And I think maybe we'll talk about YouTube in a bit, but it's going all right. So check out our YouTube channel. But uh, yes, so <laughs> where to start with this? So my first point about this is that the reason or part of the reason the 2015 scheme was introduced was as a result of the Hutton report into pensions, where they looked at the affordability of the pensions for the public sector. So We've already done this exercise of making sure that the pension is affordable for the public in 2015 when Lord Hutton did his report. Okay, so we've done it already. It's already been looked at. It's been tweaked with. We do not need another tweak. Okay. The other thing to say is in this article, there are two of our esteemed colleagues who are quoted. One is quoted as saying that they think, I'm not sure how they got around to talking about pay from this, but. They think that the pay demand that the junior doctors are making is, quote, an overambitious opening gambit. So with regards to that, I think I didn't really want to talk about that, but looks like we're going to. So the junior doctors are asking for 35% pay restoration. OK, it's not a pay rise because they're saying restore our pay to the level of 2008. And the BMA have calculated that translates to a 35% loss in pay. So it's not a pay rise, a pay restoration. So if you think that a 35% pay restoration is an overambitious opening gambit, 
then you're basically saying they should just accept yet another real terms pay cut. Okay. But the other problem I have with the two esteemed and you know very well respected colleagues that are quoted in this article is it's so hard to understand just how much the game has changed in medicine, okay? And how different the graduates of today's financial, especially financial situation is. And did a quite a nice, or actually a very popular podcast with this, with Dr. Joe, excuse me, where's my manners? Mr. Joe Manjale, who spoke so eloquently about this. So I think it's called like, would we recommend medicine to our children? What do you reckon I went for? Did you, do you want to do a spoiler on that episode? Did I recommend it to my children or not? I would say you didn't recommend it. What did well, you say? Listeners, you're going to have to, well, you're going to have to tune in and find out. I have to tune in as well. I don't know the answer. <laughs> so here's my point. Okay. These two esteemed colleagues, okay, that are quoted in this article, one of them saying it's an overambitious opening gambit. They graduated in 1999, okay? So if they graduated in 1999, they paid no tuition fees, okay? For someone who starts medicine tomorrow, starts medical school, they pay £9,250 tuition fees, okay? The person that graduated in 1999 almost certainly had no student loan and possibly had access to a maintenance grant, which was just a grant that you didn't have to repay. And even, you know just being honest, I had access to a maintenance grant and it was means tested. And because my mum didn't earn much money at all, I got a decent sized maintenance grant. Okay. So this person in 1999, they got that. Now you have a student loan when the interest rate currently on a plan two student loan is 6.9%. And I don't think student loans are getting enough airtime because of the length of the training at medical school. Medical students rack up an incredibly large student loan, okay? And the loan gets so large that for the majority of people, they will never repay the loan. And you're thinking, oh, well, if you never repay it, that's not a problem. But it is a problem because on a plan two student loan, how the repayments work is you repay 9% of your salary above £27,295, okay? So effectively, what you've got here is a 9% graduate tax for most of your career, I know the loan gets wiped eventually, but that's after sort of 30 years or something like that. So a 9% graduate tax. And that's something that our esteemed colleague who's commenting in this article that about doctor's pay did not have. So imagine that, a 9% drag. And like I had a plan one student loan, average interest rate for me was 1.1%. It was amazing debt. And I'm eternally grateful that although I had 85,000 pounds of debt, I was able to repay it. If I graduated now, I would never be able to repay my student loan. And I would just have a 9% graduate tax applied to my entire salary for my entire career. I mean, I just cannot imagine how that feels. Yeah, it's such a huge burden, isn't it? Like you had a plan one student loan. In fact, I a long time ago. And when I went back to medical school, I wasn't allowed a loan at all because I already have one. So I think they, if I had done, it would still be on plan one. I think that was the last year of plan one when I went to medical school the first year so uh, yeah again like you they're very grateful that I had that because yeah the game really has changed and uh, you know it's a whole different world right now for the junior doctors so our friend who's commenting in this article who graduated in 1999 no tuition fees no student loan possibly a maintenance grant okay if they were in 1999 looking to buy a house when they graduated they could buy a house for an average of 3.5 so three and a half times their average salary that's how house prices were okay Guess what average house prices are in relation to salary now? How many times salary? 3.5 times in 1999. Today? Let's 
go five, maybe, no, about six or seven. Nine. Nine. Nine times. Yeah. Hideous. Okay. Yeah. So our steam colleague benefited from drastically lower house prices. Okay. They may have also got free accommodation in their F1 year. I got that. And that was amazing because it just allowed me to start making a massive dent in my ridiculous debts. Again, when I was at F1, show my age here. We, when we were on call, we just had like free food in the hospital. You could just have whatever you wanted. And it wasn't like the food of today where here's a vending machine. It was like actually like decent food. I couldn't believe it. So nice. with all due respect to our esteemed colleagues that are commenting on this article, the game has changed and it doesn't matter what they think because they are from a different era. Unfortunately, mate, I think we're old enough where we're almost from a different era now as well. And all that matters is what the medical students and the junior doctors of today think. Okay. And you could infer what they think by the fact that they voted to strike an overwhelming mandate. Okay. But you can also see what they think by where they choose to go after experiencing the NHS. So I want to show you this graph. And this is one of the scariest graphs I've ever seen. Again, this is from the YouTube that I did with Mr. Joe Manjali about would we recommend medicine to our children. So this graph shows what junior doctors choose to do after F2. Okay, they've done two years in the NHS. So back in 2010, 83% of them stayed in the NHS and continued on to higher levels of training to become a specialist or a GP, okay? And only 16, or let's call it 17% of them, went elsewhere. So that's 2010. In 2018, only 38% of them stayed in speciality training, so stayed in the NHS. And a majority, 62, let's call it 63%, went elsewhere, okay, and a significant number of them went outside the NHS and outside the country, okay. So junior doctors are voting with their feet. In 2010, 83% of them carried on, stayed in the NHS, keep training. And in 2018, only 38% of them. And 2018 was a long time ago. There's been a lot of water under the bridge since then. I reckon, I don't know this, but I would imagine these figures are a bit worse. Yeah, I mean, that was 2018. I mean, now... I should think it's definitely worse. And that's terrible, isn't it? It's like already a low proportion going into training, carrying on. Yeah, I'm sure that's got worse. If you're workforce planning in the NHS, and I don't really know who is workforce planning, if anyone knows anyone who's workforce planning in the NHS, like, let me know. But if you were, this graph should really scare you, okay? And the final thing is, I bet maybe some of the people are thinking, well, you know, low paid when you're a junior doctor, but when you become a consultant, you hit the big time check out this graph. Okay, so this graph is from the Nuffield Trust, so independent, and it shows the average earnings compared to 2010-11. Okay, and if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that although junior doctors have had a massive or foundation year one doctors have had a massive real terms pay cut, those that have had the biggest pay cut in terms of doctors, consultants. Okay, so if you're thinking, okay, being a junior doctor is really hard, but there's a carrot waiting at the end, a gold-plated carrot waiting at the end, I regret to inform you, dear listener, that there is not a gold-plated carrot waiting at the end. And according to the Nuffield Trust, the gold-plated carrot for consultants is worth at least 15% less than it was today in 2010-11. And the private sector line there, I mean, they're doing all right, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, despite the fact that the press always comparing us to the private sector and how terrible things are for the private sector compared to the NHS in terms of pay, etc. It's just, yeah, craziness. This graph is really revealing. Exactly. Yeah. So, as I said, it doesn't matter what the people quoted in this. I mean, these are respected 
doctors, there are colleagues who are, why do you think, <laughs> I'm trying to understand the mindset of somebody who gets quoted in a paper, basically trashing a generation of doctors that they don't understand and have absolutely no knowledge of, like, why would you do that? Yeah, I really don't get it at all. I mean, they've, you know, obviously, as you say, they're, they've done their time, though, they're hard working, they've, you know, I'm sure that being very good doctors, but yeah, I just don't, I don't see how it's helpful, to be honest. Yeah. They've got their reasons, I'm sure, but who knows what they are. Seems a bit crazy to me. I don't think when I retire, I'm going to be going into the papers, you know, bashing my colleagues who are still working, but you know, each to their own. Yeah. I think they just can't comprehend it. And I noticed that one of them graduated in 1978. Okay. So they are just from a different era in terms of pension. We already covered how the pensions got worse slowly over time. They're just from a different era. And I noticed also that they're from Guernsey, where the maximum rate of income tax is 20%. So that must be really tough, paying a maximum rate of income tax, 20%. But let's not go there. Let's keep it clean. Yeah, let's keep it clean, because that's all a little bit depressing or sad. Should we talk about some good news? Let's do that. Yeah, that's it. Let's move on to something more positive. So just to say, guys, we've now created, for the first time, a guide for nurses and midwives to lead them step by step through how to claim back the income tax on their professional expenses. So for many years now, we've had one for doctors. We just got around to creating one for nurses. So that is now hopefully up and running. So I'm really excited about this. It's long overdue. Your tax guide is amazing. It saved our hardworking colleagues thousands of pounds in legitimately claimable tax deductible expenses. So I'm really proud of what we achieved there. And we should have done this a long time ago, but we're just so busy. So if you want to test it out, it's at medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash nurses. No apostrophe on the nurses, mate. How does that make you feel? No, that sounds like there shouldn't be an apostrophe. So I'm quite happy about that. It's a plural. I get confused about nurse. apostrophe. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen any typos in any of our emails? I just want to say it's all Tommy and not me. But yeah, no, no apostrophe there. So I'm happy. Very happy with that. <laughs> okay. So medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash nurses. And when Medics Money started, you know, it really just did start with me and Ed helping our friends. Our friends fed back to us and told us, okay, this bit of the guide, we don't understand it. And then we improved it slowly and iterated it over time. So the guide, in my opinion, is pretty good slash amazing because you made it, mate. But if you've got any feedback, it's really important. Just you'll get an email with the guide. Just hit reply and tell us if you're having any struggles and stuff. I mean, a few things in there that surprised me about shoes and stuff like that. So like quick overview of what they can claim that's slightly different from doctors. Would that be worthwhile doing? Yeah, absolutely. So, they, you know, they, things they can claim that are similar to doctors, they can claim for their indemnity insurance, they can claim their NMC fee, and they can claim for their Royal College of Nursing fee if they are members. So that's all fairly similar to the doctor equivalents, but there are a couple of differences. So they can make a claim for sort of laundering their uniforms. That's not to say that doctors definitely can't do that, by the way, but it's to say that with nurses, there is a, you know, a government approved fixed amount that they can just automatically get if they are laundering their own uniforms and secondly they can claim again a fixed amount for the repair or renewal of shoes and also stockings tights and socks as well so i think for the shoes they can claim a maximum of 12 pounds in the tax year and for stockings tight socks it's six pounds a year so not the most generous of things don't get me wrong but i guess you could say that every little helps and the guide completely free it's step by step guides you through how to 
claim for the repair of your shoes should you need it. And of course, the other things as well. Okay. I haven't bought any tights recently. You'll be pleased to know. But I have bought shoes recently and £12. It doesn't, that hasn't been adjusted for inflation for a long time, I'm going to guess. No, I mean, you can't get, you can't get a claim for buying shoes. It's more if you have to repair them. But then I guess you have renewing them. Yeah, so actually you are buying new shoes if you renew them, aren't you? And then they're not going to cost £12. It's a joke, basically, anyway. But it's still, you know, it's a fixed amount that nurses can claim that doctors can't. Hey, you know, if you've had to repair or new shoes, better than nothing, I guess. Although it's almost nothing. If you can get a couple of hundred quid back from using our completely free, completely step-by-step guide, and you have opted out of the pension for affordability reasons, perhaps, I mean, you know, I'm not telling what to do with your money, but... You know, you could consider if we can help you get some tax back and you can't afford to be in the pension and you want to be think that could work out really nicely. Also, you said something really interesting there, which is that nurses have what's called fixed rate expenses. So that means that like it's basically agreed that they will be able to get money back for their tights, their shoes and their washing of uniforms. Whereas doctors, as far as I'm aware, don't have any like pre agreed fixed rate expenses. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So HMRC have a list of what they call industries whereby they get special dispensations of things. So for example, for pilots, they get a special allowance for renewing sunglasses for they're flying. And doctors, yeah, (laughs) it's, you know, if you're a pilot, you can repair your sunglasses and get some money back for it. Doctors aren't on there at all. They're not on the industry list, but nurses are. So they can claim up to £125 for washing, repairing, etc. their uniforms. Twelve pounds for shoes, six pounds for stockings, tights, and socks. So, so yeah, so it's all interesting awesome. specific and nothing for doctors. But you know, as Tommy said, if you do use our guide, you know, please let us know if there are any, if there's anything in there that's not clear, any mistakes I've made, any misunderstandings, you know, anything. We really, you know, really do value the feedback so we can make it better and better. Mate, I don't think I've ever known you to make a mistake. The one time where I thought you had was when somebody wrote in about how much tax limited companies pay now because it's like 19 percent and then 25 percent if you go over a certain threshold and then you said it was 26.5 percent someone wrote in to say i think that might be wrong and then you absolutely boom boomed out of the park because there's some kind of weird marginal rate and so it turned out that you weren't wrong so yeah but if you do think there's something wrong like let us know but definitely not infallible so uh, please let me know yeah i was gonna say yeah just to reiterate if you guys have got to the end of this podcast which i'm sure you have done just to say you know please think really carefully about opting out of that pension that's my take home for today that's a take home yeah okay we've got to go and prepare our slide deck for a keynote presentation that we're giving to the i c a e w is that right that's it yeah that's the one what does that stand for again the Institute of Chartered Accountants of England and Wales. So this is like quite a big deal. Is this like giving a presentation at like, I don't know, the BMA or something like that? Equivalent terms, because, you know, I'm not an accountant, you are. Yeah, it's the GMC and BMA combined. They regulate accountants and lobby for accountants and do all the training and teaching. So they're kind of Royal College as well. So it's kind of everything that you think about as a doctor, etc., all into one. Okay, so basically I should be fairly scared and we should probably get to work. I think, no, let's not get scared, but let's definitely put the work in because it, they are quite a big thing. But they want to know all about life as a doctor, don't they? What life is like right now as a doctor and what we want to know. So I think hopefully we can use our knowledge to tell them that and they can then go away and help our colleagues. Absolutely. It's just all about helping the professionals like the accountants to help 
us doctors better. So really so grateful for the invitation. Now that I found out it's like a Royal College, a GMC and a BMA all rolled into one, I am actually really scared. So let's end this podcast by saying thank you so much for listening. Thank you for everyone that subscribed and shared it with your colleagues. We got over 50,000 downloads last month. In less than five months, we're going to be at a million downloads. And that is just purely because people have listened to it, found it useful and shared it with their colleagues. We are all in this slightly unfortunate situation together. And if we can all work together, hopefully we can get out of it. So thank you so much. Thank you for bringing those interesting articles today, mate. And I'll see you in a minute when we can start planning these slides. And I'm actually scared. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Damien. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Everyone take care.